0: I'm Caleb True, and this is the Dynamo Verlog podcast. Dynamo Verlog is a boutique publisher of poetry and fiction, demonstrating genius, eclecticism, and originality. On this podcast, we interview awesome writers and poets, and they read selections from their work. On today's episode, I talk to the poet Dennis Heinrichsen, whose recent book of poetry, This Is Where I Live, I Have Nowhere Else To Go, won the 2020 Off the Grid Poetry Prize, and was recently published by Grid Books. Full disclosure. Dennis is my uncle, so if it seems like I know him unusually well, it's because I do. Let's get into it. Here's Dennis.
1: My name's Dennis Heinrichsen. Uh, I grew up uh, in the Midwest, primarily. Uh, Born in Iowa, but uh, have lived in Illinois and Indiana and Michigan. Uh, Michigan now, uh, with a brief sojourn to Boston for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back in Michigan, and now back in Michigan for, geez, 30 years.
0: Mm-hmm. When um, when did you first think about becoming a writer, or when did you first have the idea that you would want to write?
1: Uh, I started off as a, a math major in college, mm. and did a, pretty much completed a math minor, um, but I had to take an arts and ideas class as part of the gen ed stuff, mm-hmm. and... Um, that got really interesting, and math became less and less interesting, and I started writing journals and you know, doing that kind of stuff, and then I started writing a poem and you know wandered over midnight one night to read it to uh, the, the guys in the next, next room, and one of them turned to me and said, you should take a creative writing class, and so I did, and then it was like, oh god, this is really interesting. And so it was like my junior, into my sophomore year, junior year in college, I switched Mm. from a math major to an English major and then continued on. Mm -hmm.
0: Where did you go to college?
1: Uh, I went to college here in Kalamazoo at Western Michigan University. Right on. And then I went on to uh, University of Iowa for the
0: uh, MFA. Was there like a gap of time between graduating undergrad and and doing your MFA?
1: No. uh, No, I, I... bed right into it, which mm. probably mm-hmm. was a mistake. I wish I would had a little more time and been older and, and more—I uh, uh, don't know—better academic at it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I had done a master's degree beforehand, or in been lit on the or a bit or beforehand. yeah, in lit or something. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit more. I think I was good at—I was a good sponge, mm. um, and the teaching was by osmosis, so uh, that was a nice match. Um, but I, I, I think I, I wasn't as well read as I wanted to be, needed to be maybe, mm-hmm. um, in retrospect. But you know, I got through it all and wrote poems I wanted to write, and I think uh, th- that part of it worked. Yeah. Um, and and it took a while for the other part to sort of click in and and uh, make sense to me.
0: hmm Was there ever uh, any kind of synthesis between? Uh, thinking mathematically, or or playing mathematically, and and writing. You know, I don't know. I, I think I, I, I don't think I ever thought about it um,
1: in a conscious way. But I think patterns, mm-hmm. you know, number patterns and and writing patterns are all over the place. And mm-hmm. geometries, triangulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started thinking about how music influenced me and the circle of fifths yeah. and all that sort of made sense to me in terms of seeing language as a form of patterns, um, sentences patterns, stanzas as patterns, the motifs as patterns within the pattern, and you kind of, you, you start seeing the, the inner architecture of a, a poem in that way, and I think being a math student and really liking all that stuff and loving geometry and uh, and shapes, how they all fit together, and then looking at a poem, uh, it, it got pretty easy for me, I think, to look at how a poem was built, yeah in in those sort of interlocking parts hmm. that maybe had a massic- mathematical engineer component to them
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, so and that's continued on, so I mean, I think i that's what I really like about the the writing that formal element uh, and how you can play around with those different parts and hmm. and find different content, yeah. Right when you start putting those pieces together, which is really sort of fascinating to me.
0: Interesting. Um, yeah, the, uh, this is where I live definitely feels like there's a heavy control of, of structure going on. Uh, and I mean, I, so my reference points are few when it comes to poetry. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it seems like heavy, heavy punctuation and heavy, heavy control of shape on the page, which is, um, oh
1: yeah.
0: I don't know, that feels mathematical or, or appears mathematical to me, like proof-like. Uh, and I'm wondering if, mm-hmm. if you were, if you've always worked that way, uh, or if you've always kind of like been really into that sort of structuring on the page from the get-go, or if that's something I that... think I think I was mm-hmm. early
1: on. I think, you know, when I was writing... Yeah. Um, I had I had two books out, and I realized I didn't know anything about writing poetry. So mm-hmm. I, you know, collected enough, I sponged up enough, yeah, to write poems to get a couple of books. And then I spent about nine years trying to figure out things. Mm-hmm. And then I got really interested in triplets and line mm-hmm. and enjambment and horizontal and vertical rhythms and indentation and. and the shape of the poem on the page, I got really interested in controlling that shape and creating, I guess the idea is graphic design. The yes, It needs to look on the page really beautifully. Yeah. And some poems don't. I mean, they sound <laughs> good when people read them, and then you look at them on the page, and it's just, there's no elegance to it. There's no shape on the page. It doesn't address that space mm-hmm. in a very neat way. Yeah, this book has a lot of that in there, and then I wanted to sound different, so I, there's very few poems with uh, standard punctuation in there. Mm-hmm. Um, dashes in, in some poems and then I switched to double slashes in some other poems and mm. then tried to embody yeah. more um, cinematic syntax.
0: Yes, that makes sense.
1: You know, instead of writing complete sentences and just sort of move poems forward that way. Mm-hmm. So, And then drop things on the page. So yeah, there's a huge graphic design component in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think really, really cool. I was so glad they did an oversized book this is grid press who did yes. this book mm-hmm. uh, oversized book and let me drop some of the poems down on the page to create sort of a, a strata mm-hmm. of uh poems at a lower level if you will um i thought mm-hmm. that was wow i was so glad i was able to do that i, thought, I think it looks pretty cool
0: yeah uh, and it's different i think it feels and it looks bigger than i than i would say most poetry books usually are what is this uh, seven mm-hmm. by eleven is that right do you know the difference? Uh, I think it's
1: a seven, by t- 7 by 10, I think, okay. is what it is. Yeah, that's pretty As
0: opposed to 6 by 9, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right on. So do you think of punctuation, so in terms of instructions to how a poem should be correctly read?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's it is still musical notation, and I think yeah. the double slashes for me are where I tend to pause when I read the poem. That's where the beats are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And that's where, you know, and then I thought of them also as, like, cinematic cuts. That's where I'm putting things together. Yeah. And that's the new syntax, so I'm moving forward in a much quicker fashion than I would if I were writing a complete sentence and trying to, you know, mm-hmm. get the adverbs and adjectives in the right spot and get the phrasing right. Now I can just like, you know, little brush here, slash brush, brush stroke, slash brush stroke, move the narrative forward, move the music forward, but do it so much quicker and then, you know, find different content because of that. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, but it's still musical notation, yeah.
0: That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. I mean, even for someone, maybe even yourself, uh, far in the future, looking at a poem and, and you know, re- remembering or being instructed then by your own language how to say it again, you know. Mm-hmm. So going back a little bit, um, was there, were there poets or writers when you were, like, kind of before you knew, or you had any idea of becoming a writer, um, that gave you the idea that, it could be very cool or very rewarding to try that.
1: Oh yeah, I think I was, a, you know, I was a, a student when the those poets in 19, uh, all born in 1926 were writing their really fabulous books. These were people that were uh, formalists, and they switched to free verse, and they were writing those great first free verse books. This is like Galway Canal and Phil Levine and James Wright and Adrian Rich and mm-hmm. um, in, in the Maine, and so those those poems were just so spectacular. Mm-hmm. so as a as a young midwest writer, I glommed on to those folks right away, and two in particular uh, Phil Levine, mm. who has Michigan roots and and blue collar roots and factory roots, which was similar to uh uh, sort of my experience, not in the auto industry, but in factories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was living in Michigan. I mean, it was just you know. He's writing about where I lived, and they were just spectacular poems. He was one of the finest poets in the country. Mm-hmm. And then James Wright was the other one, and he was from Ohio, so he had this Midwest sensibility, and they were the the, uh, the 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 cream of the crop, yeah. If you will. So it was really wonderful, uh, you know, to have them as models, and that's those are the poets that I really glommed onto and tried to. Um, soak up as much as, as I could about how to handle a poem.
0: Is Creeley in that group too, or I saw him popping into the class? No, this, Creeley, like, you know, no. I
1: there. think you know Creeley wasn't in that group. You know, you come to Creeley later. Yeah. Um, you come to also, you know, Olson and uh, you know all sorts of other writers later that begin to open up your ideas about poetry. I think it was just your are you my college, uh, what, what was I, uh, twenty years old? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I could understand those poems. They were pretty much transparent lyric yeah. narrative. <laughs> it was about working in factories and in, in a town called Detroit. You know, yeah. it's like oh, you know, or working on a farm or Midwest countryside and all that. All the landscapes were familiar, so they were working with materials that I was familiar with and attitudes I was familiar with. So it was mm. pretty easy to handle. Yeah. Um, That uh, you know, writing and and, or their writing, if you will.
0: Yeah. Um, Were these poets you came across yourself, or were they presented? Did you find them in college through classes?
1: Oh, they came through. They. uh, I had a great teacher, John Woods. He provided those folks with us. Levine came to read at Western when I was there. That's cool. Saw James Wright during that period of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw Canell a bunch of times, Mm -hmm. Richard Hugo was probably in that group as well, we saw him read a bunch of times, so you really, you you were up close and personal with those folks. You know, it was pretty heady, it was pretty, um, an amazing time uh, to be a writer, that you felt inspired by it all, and it felt possible, you know, when you read Eliot, or you go back and read Retsky, or you know, you read the generation before that, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like it it was as possible. Yeah. as it was with those guys. And, but as you get older, then you come back, and then you go back and you see Berryman and Lowell and Resky and, uh, you know, and, and back into history, and suddenly now you're capable of, of learning from those
0: writers in, in a very deep way. Did you have a favorite book uh, growing up? Of poems? No, no, fiction or anything. I
1: don't know. You know, I was thinking of that list, you know. um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my guilty pleasures are sort of in the science fiction. Yeah. So probably during that time, the book that resonated most was probably Dune. Okay, by Frank right Herbert. on. Cool, um, that's,
0: uh, that's getting a second life, or a third life, as Yeah, I award. know, I know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't know why it, it resonates, you know. You know the Robert Heinlein and, yeah. um, um, was another one. Um, Aldous Huxley. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All those sort of uh, dystopia books were really interesting to read, mm-hmm. and uh, kept me at it. And then later on, I discovered William Gibson, yeah, yeah. Um, invented the term cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. So uh, he has uh, I don't know nine or ten novels out now. Yeah, um, and I would uh, I've read them all and probably read all of them two three times each. Uh, it's my guilty pleasure during the summer. And then Neil Stevenson's got a great book called Cryptonomicon you know Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really fine book. And there's another book that I really loved that I've read a bunch of times by China Miéville called *The City and the City*. Yeah, there was a uh, Prime or somebody made a uh, BBC made a uh, four-part series out of it that was uh, really wonderful. But those are my those are my guilty pleasures when I sit down and, and, and read for pleasure. Yeah, books of poems I go back to are you know I go back to early Levine, *The they Feed They Lion*. Another book is that I think is just perfect from beginning to end, *To the Rose* is mm-hmm. is, it, is it called mm-hmm. or *For the Rose*. Yeah, James Wright, *Shall We Gather at the River* is mm-hmm. another book. Yeah. Um, late uh, William college Williams. Oh yeah. Pictures from Brook. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the Journey to Love in particular. Mm-hmm. There's a Jack Gilbert book in there too that functions as uh, sort of root notes. You know, hmm. for me. Yeah. Uh, for the original source code, uh-huh. I go back to known then. Charles Wright for sure in in a big way.
0: Is your structure is that sort of something that comes from a routine, or do you, have you over the years built a routine from um, uh, from structure?
1: I think early on it was content, you know, you come to poetry out of uh, wound and hurt and trauma and poetry Mm -hmm. really functions as a a way to mediate some of that. And you get thinking that you're writing your autobiography or it feels like creative nonfiction and after a while you realize that it's not, it's really cinema. It's really about a body double, it's not about you anymore, Mm -hmm. it uses your biographical material to shape content and, and explore and, and try to find new things. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then after a while, the form is more interesting. Yeah. I always think, what can I do formally that will make me say something different than I've been saying? Yeah. And then think of what that is and then, and then play around with it. I should say, too, yeah. at this point, there was a really, you know, the, 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 the poets did one thing, but then and they created a kind of more traditional view of poetry, you know, left justified on the page. Mm sort of linear narratives, clear scene, clear emotion. And then when I was still an undergrad, about that time between completing a math minor and going into an English major, mm-hmm. the uh, musician, poet, philosopher, writer John Cage mm. came yeah. to Western and asked for volunteers to perform an, um presentation of his piece called Moreau. Mm-hmm. So I volunteered with a bunch of other folks, like a hundred other people, and we... <laughs> We made noise for four hours. You know, and called it music, which just it kinda of blew everything up and is like this amazing little wild card. Yeah. You know, that gives you permission to experiment uh-huh. with form and shape and giving yourself directions just to see what happens inside that space that you've uh, defined.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you done uh, multimedia work? I've done some
1: videos in the last few weeks with a friend of mine who's doing photography Mm -hmm. uh, where I'm uh, based on poems in the new book. Yeah. Um, I I have... Talked to I gave my, I gave a videotape or an audio tape to a musician and had him play around with it and he did a bunch of really wonderful effects for this brain scan poem. Oh yeah. Turned into a, a video as well. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. And then I've um, I've got a friend who's a musician and he's working with a couple of poems and writing some uh, music for it. Yeah. So I guess the answer is yeah. yeah. But only in the like la- like in the last month has has it been. Uh, possible to do that kind of stuff.
0: What kind of music is, uh, like, are you coming up with for these kind of things? Like, what's the vibe? He's a
1: polymath. He's an engineer slash musician who's really into noise music and mm-hmm. krautrock, rock grimes and just all jazz, you know, free jazz. <laughs> so I don't know what he's going to come up with. Yeah. He plays. He's got a guitar, bass, synthesizer, and an organ somewhere mm-hmm. over there. And I know he likes to do freaky wonderful things so I'm giving him you know free reign to do whatever he wants with uh, this set of poems I sent him so Excellent. we'll see I don't know yeah that's. Cool. I'll let you know when it comes out I'm excited to see what he does
0: yeah that's fun so you kind of started touching on this a little bit but uh, so when you write when you when you you know come to the page uh, are you inspired more by a detail or by an event um, or a detail or um, I should say, are you, do you come from the imagist school, or are you you come to poetry uh, with a different sort of impetus?
1: I think late, lately, I think early on you did that. You'd have an image and you'd try to build something out of an image. Mm-hmm. And then you'd you know, go jazz on it and improvise and try yeah. to find something. I was asked to teach a lyric writing class at one point and which was really cool because it was really a formal class in formal poetry. Yeah. And the basics in the book were really fundamentally you know, non-academic, mm-hmm. so, uh, and they were just like rock solid, and they started connecting with the academic stuff I was reading, but in a much plainer way, hmm. Yeah. but then he started talking about writing the lyrics to a song, and thinking about being, in, writing in a particular key, <laughs> I hmm. thought, yeah. oh, this is interesting, so why don't you start, instead of starting with an image, why don't you start, you know, when you're improvising with people, you, if you hit an A, you know where you are, and then you know where you're going, if you're going to go to the four and five chords, right? Hmm. Yeah. You know, if or if you're playing in a key of E, you know you're going to go to, to uh, uh, A and B. So I thought, why not start with three things? Why not identify what the key is, your one chord, but also your four and your five, and then begin to triangulate, not not try to um, work song form, verse, chorus, bridge kind of stuff with it and follow it that way, but just have those three ideas to play back and forth with. And the, and the poem that really made sense to me, looking at it that way, is Kito to do a Nightingale. Mm-hmm. It's written um, in the key of Nightingale. The narrative line in the poem is really simple. I saw a bird, it sang, it flew away. Mm -hmm. And the four chord is immortality. The five chord is mortality, is death, right? Yeah. So, And that's all the poem is. It just rocks back and forth between those things to me. And so that made really kind of cool sense. And so if you look at some of the titles in the book, they're like three sets of bracketed things, right? Those are my one, four, five chords in in the poem. Okay, yeah. Like crowd, fall, floor, or mother... Mm-hmm. Mother's body. i uh, to think. Mother's body, thirst, cone and sphere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The body farm, soul, photograph, mirrored images. Yeah, I mean, I'm, straight, I'm basically like, naming yeah. my one four five chords that I'm playing in the in the in the poem. You know, so so I think think of it in that regard in terms of the content, and then I think in terms of cinema and right and left justification and the other. Component and using double slashes, if you will, so that I don't ever really write a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I give myself limitations, like the body farm poems in the book had to be really short. Mm -hmm. They couldn't be any longer than a sonnet length. The brain scan poems were a found form based on the brain scan. I was really interested in that slice, 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 Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that the the narratives in those poems are really kind of, uh, they leap forward section by section, they are scans, if you will, of ideas right. and, and one even evolved into, uh, after a conversation with uh, my friend who's doing the music, into a, a free jazz, a take on free jazz where I change keys mm. and call out the key change in the poem and try to, to incorporate free jazz and that was the sort of idea there and just, then you start somewhere, right, and, and then you just key change and then you go someplace else, mm-hmm. key change, go to another place and then just see where you go. So. I never know what I'm going to say in these poems until I get going. And then the form is empty until I fill it. So it asks for things for me, mm-hmm. which is, becomes really interesting. It, you know, It goes back to that root note, that frost root note, that is. If there's no surprise in me, the writer, there's no surprise in the reader. So mm-hmm. setting it up that way, it's, it's, I'm perpetually surprised by what, what happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're not, then it's got to go somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Then, yeah. Then if it not. Yeah. Then you're just retreading old stuff. You're writing another poem about your dead dad or your dead mom, as opposed to creating a language experience that explores and, and, and uh, you know finds finds ideas and finds stuff and, and, and finds a shape on the page that catches the eye.
0: Yeah, that makes sense with other forms mm-hmm. of art too. Like, as so much has been done, that a lot of it's now is hybridization, mm-hmm. and it's got to be to find something new. So if you had to rank the individual poems, uh, like if you had to choose from across your um, their career so far, uh, individual poems, one to five, uh, that were inspirational uh, in a big way, what would those be?
1: I think it's in, in eras. The era one yes. probably would uh, go back to Levine, and if I had to pick a poem, it would probably be the title poem from his book, They Feed, They Lie Mm-hmm. which is a really amazing exercise in sound. If you read that poem out loud, you can hear a really fundamental uh, aspect about beats, long and short beats, two beats, three beats, that starts mm-hmm. connecting to ideas about rhythm that are sub to the uh, ideas about you know iams and scanning, et cetera, et cetera. There's mm-hmm. another ba- more basic, more primitive rhythm down at the bottom there that, beneath that all, that, that is much more interesting. Yeah, that poem. You can hear it, hear it happening. And then the James Wright poem to the Muse. He has a, a bunch of poems to uh, a young playmate of his, uh, his imagined. Uh, in, now that I think about it, he made it up. But <laughs> she drowned, um, and he has the, all these Jenny poems, these wonderful Jenny poems to this lost child. Mm. And to the Muse was this one really unbelievable poem where he, he speaks about her being, you know, a drowning victim coming up and trying to rest, you know. Uh, uh, resuscitate her, etc., and it ends with him saying something like, come out of the dark waters, or I will come down to you. Mm. <laughs> it's just it's a really amazing, amazing poem. And it, it resonated to me. I was like, you know, I came to poetry out of a sort of trauma, a car accident trauma, where some friends were killed, so Jenny mm. became a uh, avatar for them, and that poem became a, a way to think about writing about the dead mm. in a way that was honest and true and respectful.
0: Mm-hmm. So...
1: Those two poems there. Then later I read, after I figured it out what I needed to do and, and stopped really writing. I, I wrote poems where I was really working on trying to figure out what I was doing, trying to articulate you know, a prosody that made sense to me. Yeah. So it all started, I think, with uh, an essay by Donald Hall called On Ambition, mm. and in it he railed against the writing programs at the time, which was <laughs> You know, 80s maybe. Yeah. I just go back and get it. But he, wrote, he railed against the the formulaic supposed teaching going on there. And I think it's where he coined the term the mac Everybody was writing mac poems, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he basically said it's better to fight against the giants and and uh, be ambitious as hell, and and write really you know and burn out, <laughs> whatever you know <laughs> instead of instead of just writing easy publishable poems and and. So I thought, well, okay, what's the best poem in the English language? Well, oh, okay, it's O2 <laughs> So
0: yeah.
1: I went back and I started memorizing O2 Naingale. Part of the problem was I was working full-time jobs and having no time to write. And, and I knew I was never not a poet. And <laughs> I, I, I cleaved to that. And I yeah. knew I was never not a formalist, but I didn't know how. And I cleaved to that. And then I was working terrible jobs and stressful jobs. But I started memorizing Keats. Oh do Nightingale so when I walked home on a cold winter night through uh, you know Cambridge to my Boston home, I could recite Keats on the way home and have him with the with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept it up for a long time, um, years in fact, and then a companion poem came and that came from Williams from Journey to Love, the poem um, the Ivy Crown mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which was an, a kind of nice polar opposite though there was a lot of similarities between the two poems. And, mm-hmm between those two sort of two formal gestures, I kind of operated and basically, yeah. every time I sat down, I, I was fighting against those two. I had, <laughs> you know. I, every time I sat down, I did a home run. That was that's as good perfect. as those poems. Yeah, so I wrote good. long, all my poems are really long, two, three pages during that period of time. Mm-hmm. Most of them are in triplets. So I'm working a formal gesture and working in jamment, and working the music and trying to find a demotic voice that is as powerful as Williams and and, and yet as sort of beautiful as Keats. And so is this still first era? This I kept is that like up
0: for, your 20s kind of thing?
1: No, this is second era. This is okay. second era, yeah. I 30s, like, 40s. You know, when we, when we, yeah, I would throw my first two books away. I didn't know, I didn't, <laughs> I just, I, I don't acknowledge them. My, my career began with my third book, mm. and that's when I really figured it out and paid attention to that stuff, and start things started coming together at mm-hmm. a level that made sense in terms of how to think formally about free verse. I didn't want to write villanelles, and I didn't want to write sonnets, and I didn't want to scan poems, and I didn't want to get my hands out and count syllables, et etc et I knew there was something below that, and a few essays I was reading started talking about that. Yeah, uh, I just had a feeling that triplets were the way to go from something somebody else said to me, and yes. that's where it all kind of made sense to me. And so those two poems informed my writing for you know a yeah. decade. I'd salted in other things of course, but you know, they're still root notes for me in a way. Yeah. Um, things have changed a little bit, but um, th- those are really two really beautiful, powerful poems to read out loud. When I came back and started teaching that lyric writing class and then realizing that while I was a math major, what was destroying me were the film, like the, the, the New Wave uh, French Film Festival. Mm. So, I'd not do my math homework and go see movies, or go see <laughs> Eyes Without a Face, or yeah. The 400 Blows. Yeah. Uh, and then Cage came, and then there was a 12 tone concert going on over here. And, and then I began to realize music and film was destroying my math career, and it really became <laughs> source code for me more so than the literature classes in terms yeah. of how I was thinking about poetry and all that because I like the three-dimensional shape of all that, right? Yeah. The beats in a film and the beats in music and the architecture of a scene and the blocking and the close-ups and the pans mm. and mm-hmm. and, then, and then music started making sense to me yeah, uh, more and more in terms of that shape. Yeah. So... I began to like to look into that and, and use film as a way to think about it and started watching how directors use long takes. You know, Andrei Tarkovsky is a really do you know Andre Tarkovsky? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah. So yeah, Good. like Stalker. Yeah. There's some really amazing stuff in Stalker and in and Andre mm. Rublev. Yeah, just these really beautiful long takes. You know, and I started thinking about how I could play around with that. The Alzheimer's mm. one of the Alzheimer's poem is basically a, a riff on Stalker. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, the um, Kurosawa is in there. Uh, Antonioni, mm-hmm. you know uh, Hitchcock. Just all these. Started thinking about it. Not in any kind of one-on-one direct way, but just thinking about what I was doing. I told myself I was making movies. Yeah. Where it's the scene. Who's the actor? What's the action? What are the special effects? Mm-hmm. You start thinking about all that stuff. And what are the beats? What are the big beats? Macro beats. What are the micro beats? What, what am I trying to focus on here? Where's mm. the image here? Yeah, All that kind of stuff. And it began to help me understand how I thought about conceiving of a poem mm-hmm. uh, and, and making a shape for the audience rather than confessing, if you will. And then more and more music. James Brown lately, too. I love the James <laughs> Brown great. idea that... Yeah, I think I, I devolved to the point where I, I, I'm not making movies anymore. Everything I do is percussion. At a macro level, you know, I'm throwing words on a page. I'm making sound against silence, making use in three-line shapes against other three-line shapes, so there's macro beats Mm -hmm. at that level, Mm -hmm. macro beats this way, I'm on the right-hand side of the page, I'm on the left-hand side of the page, I'm doing, you know, graphic beats as well, trying to create a sense of dynamics in the poem that comes out of all those wonderful uh, early uh, uh, funk sounds of, you know, uh, songs of James Brown, you know, uh, Papa's got a brand-new bag, and Cold Sweat, which is amazing. Uh, it's nice about so, that um those songs uh, is that
0: you can hear you can almost hear everything discreetly like there's so much space in them that you can yeah everything exactly it's wonderful yeah, yeah.
1: well i was I was trying to you know when I was playing guitar, mm-hmm. I was trying to, to figure out how to play some funk guitar to mm. I don't yeah. know, Kansas City or something like that, and then so mm. I'm on YouTube listening to some sixteen year old tell me about Henry <laughs> Brown. yeah and he uh he starts talking about windows. There's windows in James Brown's song. And I thought, oh, wow, that this is, is so cool. Yeah. Poems have windows, too, right? Yeah. You know, and I, it, it's that that's the idea, the idea of the dynamics. There's a little window for the guitar. There's a little window for Maceo Parker, yeah. right? And then Brown screams, and it goes back to this other thing. And it's just like it's so compelling. And I love that it's just so it makes your body move, right? Mm-hmm yeah Uh, you can't you can't sit still listening to those songs and i thought wow that's the idea behind poetry is to have an effect (laughs) yeah on people Mm -hmm. just with language and the the rhythms and the beats and all that so it's like why not try to translate some of that into your poetry if you can yeah and work with dynamics so
0: no that's great i think um yeah so much of i mean so much is trying to do what cinema does and i feel like these Mm -hmm. these poems you're 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 basically just trying to put a poem, put a movie in someone's head you know and that's um that's oh, yeah yeah in, like, kind of instigating a visual is like kind of what I mean everyone's trying to do that writers are trying to do that mm-hmm. um poets uh musicians to some degree too are just trying to paint color give people that and I think that's um right cinema is so difficult I feel like it's that's the hardest thing to come to without uh you know it's to kind of envision and get the equipment for and whatever. Oh, yeah. It's a lot easier. <laughs> I need a
1: poem. That's a movie, right?
0: Yeah. And it can be, it can be just as um, epic with, with, you know, on a budget too. I mean, it's, that's why, mm. you know, playing music yourself and kind of exploring those mm. kinds of things. That's, I, I think know. it's doing a lot of the same stuff. It's a shortcut to something, ma- you know, really, really epic, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: without, yeah without the requirements that usually entails. I was going to ask you, uh, just this one last question, uh, about the ranking your own books um, yeah. across your career or, or grading them. I don't know if you made a choice of whether you wanted to give, grade yourself like Kurt Vonnegut did that one time oh. <laughs> or just rank them. I don't, um, just for fun. Yeah, I don't know. That's
1: hard to do because you know, yes. each book is sort of like the best you could do at that particular time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go on and you get better. Well, His ranking so, makes no
0: sense. Like it's you know it's yeah. he's like I think he one of my favorite of his books he gives like a D minus or something. Obviously he hates it. Oh geez, really? But uh, Cat's uh, Cradle, you know that's his. I think that's his A minus book or something. I don't know if he gives himself more, oh, really? than, more than an A. um a minus what, what, what did you give what did you give Slaughterhouse? you know i should probably just look this up right now because it's a kind of an interesting uh, i think slaughterhouse did well i think slaughterhouse is also a minus or maybe a b plus um okay. but i'm gonna yeah. look it up because yeah, this is fun. fun that's a fun <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> grades his own novels yeah it's it's uh what are the novels i i you know it's just all over the place like um let's see here uh here we go. A report card for his novels. Player Piano B. Uh, Sirens of Titan A. Mother Night A. Cat's Cradle A plus. Okay, so that's oh, wow. you know he gives him his highest ranking for that. Mm-hmm. God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater is an A. Slaughterhouse Five is an A plus. It's the only other A plus. Oh, okay. Uh, welcome yep. to the Monkey House, which is a, actually a collection B minus. Happy Birthday, Wanda June D. Breakfast of Champions <laughs> C. That one's surprising. Wampeters FOMA and Grand Faloon C. Uh, Slapstick is a D. Jailbird A. And Palm Sunday is a C.
1: That's very interesting. Well, that yeah. Slaughterhouse got an A
0: plus. I uh, yes. give that one an A plus. That one makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that, that one's a really stuck test <laughs> yeah. of
1: time. That's so sure. cool. I don't know if I could grade them. I, that would be hard. Yeah. I think when I go back and think about it, you know, I would throw my first two books away mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. And then I would say my career really began with my third book, which is when I spent a lot of time up to that book trying to figure out how to address the page mm-hmm. and made some headway that made sense to me and wrote a breakthrough poem I thought that declared at least to myself that I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So that would be my third book, which is Detail from the Garden of Earthly Delights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then in second place. I think the new book in second place because I'm really, I'm really digging it. I didn't, you know, when you put a book together, the book you publish is not necessarily the book you put together. This is like the third major revision of what I was thinking. Some of the earlier ones got close. Yeah. They were in the, you know, the judge's hands but never got selected. And then I just said, God, what I really want to do is just play and I put together this one. Yeah. um, As if it were a single gesture with, uh, with no section breaks but those little, uh, I guess I thought of them as choral backbeats. The body farm poems are Momento Mori backbeats and the yeah. other poems are sort of choral backbeats to the, the main narrative line of the book. And then it's all, then it's right and left justified, which I'm glad they were able to do and they got that bigger size book. It was just perfect. So I just I'm really falling more and more in love with this book in terms of how it came out. And then the um in third place is the Culear chat chapbook, which I think is just mm. a gorgeous, yeah. perfect chapbook. I've done two other chapbooks, but they just seem sort of, I don't know, like faux chapbooks, yeah. if, you, if you will. Well, the Culear <laughs> one seemed like it had a unity to it. It was a single gesture. And in fact, one of the biggest questions I had in putting this book together was whether or not the Culear poems were going to be in it or not. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's some poems about my mother where she is herself, and then the Q Lear is like this hybrid film play starring her as herself kind of. I mean, there's an actor there.
0: Is that a persona then? Because Q Lear, uh, it's in this book. Yeah, it is in
1: this book. I decided to put it in. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I put it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other other versions, it wasn't in. Gotcha, okay. And then then I thought, the hell with it. I'm going to put it in there and have like this movie break out in the middle of the book Mm-hmm. to paint that scene, honor her, foreground her at the front of the stage in this, in this thing. Cause she loved movies, and, and the book has a cinematic component to it, and yeah. gives another angle angle on her life that gets touched on in the Knights of Chicago poem and, mm-hmm. and some of the opening poems. But the chapbook itself is just so, done so beautifully and uh, the press that I worked with and the editor there is, there were fabulous and it was such a great experience and I think it's a really cool little book. Skin Music, the one before that, mm-hmm. I think another favorite. And then I probably um, think of Kurosawa's Dog was in slot number five. But not by much. I think the, the, the other the Cage of Water book I like a lot and Rip riptooth I like a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Riptooth was a little different. It was sort of a, the A, the B side, to Kurosawa dog. But um, yeah, I guess I would drink them that way. Cool. Um, yeah.
0: Now you mentioned when you were editing this book uh, that you went through a uh, couple of pretty major revisions. Are these uh, like line, on the line level or are you talking about structural, um, organizational? Oh, structural, yeah. Okay.
1: No. at one point the book was called Proof Poison, identifying all these different kinds of, if you will, poisons... Mm -hmm. Like male toxicity, Mm -hmm. ideas about gender, uh, ideas about race. Where do they come from? This, like, you know, the idea that uh, as a male in this culture, we get brainwashed uh, on so many different levels. And tried to undo some of that. So the poem would take the poison and, and, and you know, and in a sense, metabolize the poison. Mm-hmm. So I had poems about the war. The The poem about my daughter and, and who's queer and it was in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a poem about a, the war. There were some poems about Malcolm X in the earlier drafts of the book. mm mm-hmm. um, that aren't in here, but um, got published elsewhere. And then after a while, it turned into a book called Triage. Mm-hmm. I was revisiting the car accident I was in about 50 years ago. Four people died. Major grief. I think the whole town had PTSD. But one 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 person in particular had some issues with me, blamed me, I think, mm-hmm. and kind of acted out and bullied. Never in a physical way, but sort of uh, let me know that he was unhappy for a, a, about a year and a half. We ended up being good friends by the time wow. I was a senior, but then I hadn't seen him for 48 years. Wow. And then I see him. He finds me on Facebook. Oh, yeah. And his story is he was he was in the worst hot air balloon accident in the United States and huh. fell 80 100 feet to the ground. He had to jump out of a hot air balloon. Six people like, you know, six people in the car, six people in the balloon, Jeez. in this case, five people died in the balloon, Yeah, um, and he wrote a book about it, and he writes me a note on Facebook and he fi- he says, I finally get what you were going through <laughs> mm, yeah. after 48 years, Yeah, and that kind of blew me away, and it was like, oh, so this is the silver anniversary, so the po- book was about, it was called Triage and had some of that content in there. Mm. Um, and then as I kept working on it, um, it fell away. Um, yeah. Um, got replaced and ended up being this one here. So mm-hmm. Which I'm glad for. I mean, books evolve and you have to sort of ride with them. And if you get locked into a particular, I don't know, project idea and the project's not working, you're kinda of, you're kinda of doomed, right? You know?
0: Yeah. You may or may not work those poems into another collection later on, I'm guessing. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So this car accident, I feel like I've heard this story before, but um, was it five yeah. people in the car and you are the only one who survived? Is that how it goes? There, there,
1: were, there were five, six in the car, mm-hmm. um, four killed instantly. Yeah. Another one hurt badly, I don't know. She didn't die. And then I walked away without a scratch.
0: Oh, my God, that's, that's bizarre. Yeah, without
1: yeah. a scratch. Yeah, I was home. Yeah, I was in school the next Monday. It was Friday, and it was, yeah, it was a period of time where... We didn't. The term PTSD wasn't even coined yet. There was no such thing as counselors. <laughs> yeah. You know. And so everyone just sat in their in their rooms, in their classrooms for that entire week around empty desks and wept. <laughs> yeah. You know. No one. There's no language for it. So it was pretty pretty tough going.
0: That's uh. That's yeah. That's wild. And that uh. That did steer you towards wanting to become a poet. That was something. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think so. I, yeah. yeah, I think so. Not in a like, oh, I, I have trauma, I need poetry. Right. But you, you work your way towards that. And I, I kind of knew that I didn't, I couldn't write about it because it was too early. Uh-huh. I, yeah. I think I sent, spent 17 years writing before I wrote a decent word about it. And then I wrote a bunch of poems that ended up being in my second book that I thought gave fair artistic representation to it without sensationalizing it.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, right. But yeah, poetry helped figure that stuff out for sure. Um, but then I didn't, you know, then I, after a while I was like, you know, I don't want to go back to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't want to address it as fully as I was in that one triage version of the book.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. It's almost like you're entombing it when you figured out the right way to oh, write yeah, yeah. something? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, you are, you, you are. Yeah, you're putting it in the, in the, in the Pharaoh's tomb. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. You're, you're boxing it up, you're contextualizing it, you're getting it out of your head. Mm-hmm. into a tangible shape on a page so there is a kind of release there but i don't know if you know one is ever that stuff but you learn to live with with it in your life
0: cool yeah. do you, uh can, would you like to read some stuff from uh this is where i live oh
1: sure uh yeah do you have a request or do you want me to uh
0: would it be too much to read all of brain scan or maybe like a, maybe like four four from brain scan oh
1: okay Yeah, I can do that. The Chivago poem is a a long poem and takes... When I time it out, it's five minutes or so.
0: Okay, let's do that one and then maybe do a couple from right
1: Okay, cool. Here's Nice of Chivago for my mother. Okay. We were poor, she found money, and went to Chivago three nights in a row. Uh, Back in 19... Must have been 66. Uh, Nice of Chivago for my mother. I carry your loneliness inside me like a horse. One of those trotters from Chivago. A movie you saw three nights running when I was young and you were young and there was still a future in Super Panavision. You loved the scalar immensity. Sharif's Egyptian eyes burning white Russian in a dream of perfect marriage. Who could blame you? Husband in another town setting up the next move. Home only weekends. The American dream. Ranch house with leaky basement. Sump pump like an artificial heart on a stem, children burning out their lives like orphans. Night one, you bought us popcorn so we would quiet, and the grey of the screen could become the grey of your mind, exploding in fur and pink, skeletal chaplain. She had your body, wisp of a girl with girlish hips, but awash in glamour, wealth. She wins shivago, it seems. You go a second time, take a friend, a blonde like Lara, whose husband, the rumor went, embezzled, slept around, slapped her now and then. I think it helped, helped night, too, with the brute, Victor Epolitovich Komorowski, and Lara's deeper, truer loneliness, shape of a woman, like the shape of a horse, set down, weeping. You hated Steiger forever after that, begrudged him even in the Oscar. Was he the husband? The man from across the street? Our father, the Chivago children, the four snot-nosed kids you left at home, with whom? Me? When you returned, a glass was broken. We were bloodied, fighting. You threatened to leave. I threw you the keys. You stayed. Night three, you went alone. Fell into that slow section, Lara helping Chivago. You too were a nurse. They fall in love, beautifully, without touching. Mend and stitch the wounded, and then the horse again. Varikino, Uriaten, Chivago galloping wife to lover. His passion abducted, conscripted, his trudging in snow. Varikino again, Lara again. It's really a house in Spain filled with beeswax, the cold and illusion. Hollywood lighting, bathing, Christie's blue eyes, yours were brown. As Christie, as Lara lounged, as you, as Lara lounged, while Shivago penned the poems to the adored. He has his back to her, the candle rages, she is sleeping. I watch it three nights running before I understand the scene. Then I know it is you who is awake. By a strange alchemy, you is Shivago, the unadored, the unbeloved, become the lover. The unending monologues when I was home explain it. The weekly phone calls word and word and word when I was away. The tapes of your singing at church with Streisand. The letters with bios of Indian doctors you loved. Their skin as dark as Sharif's but with sharper knives. How you let them cut you again and again. Scalpel as palm and dear heart. Are you breathing? What can I do to ease the pain? 40 years of this, a staggering array of scars and drugs, ankle, knee, heart, gut. The writings, the tapes, the poems, Dolores' poems I stored in a box until, because I am your cultish son, I trashed. For which I am broken-hearted. late adoring, yours after all, sentenced to a few crude scenes.
0: Excellent, thank you. Would you like to read uh, from uh, Brain Scan?
1: Yeah, well, this is the Keats. The idea, you know, the beauty of, of, of reciting a poem like Keats or the Nightingale is that he controls your breathing when you're reading <laughs> the poem. There's this really wonderful spiritual, right? Awesome. Yeah. when you're doing a cover to a song, right? You are <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that musician. So right. yeah, this is about Keats and my iPhone. Box of light with Keats in it, and an iPhone and a boy. Keats, these lungs are getting yours, riding the daylight, fully blooded, with what flared in you, burned you, burned and blossomed, so you knew the color of that blood, arterial, and were enslaved. As I am enslaved to the same punishing death, reciting the poem, as is the child who imagines my pleasure and ease, yet who must muck out Middle of the Congo, a pearl-gray, blue-gray, lustrous mineral. Torque of misery and extinction. Corrosion, burning, chisel, boy's tongue, tip of a Kalashnikov. His photograph, synapse that loves the charge and fires my phone alive. Set lock screen, he kneels in a trench. Set home screen, his head is down, set both left hand color of copper about to graze the coppery slag and refuse the waste current my face staring down with blasted eyes a pitiful electric mercy
0: awesome yeah that was great cool Uh, what's your routine like these days writing wise
1: i'm in between you know i got this book done and then i have i got i have a whole another book done already that Basically uses the box of light uh, with Keats in it. Uh, it was the beta test for all these poems. So I have all these sonnet-shaped poems that triangulate various things off my news feed, basically exploring mm. my digital self, my digital life, and mm. the degree to which as a a uh, person, a first world inhabitant, uh, am killing the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's very much a part of our lives these days, isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, is this a climate change collection? I know the, the cover and title definitely suggests, um, but I, I wonder uh, what your thoughts oh, are. Oh, this this book here? Yeah.
1: I think it starts hitting on that in some of the later poems, mm-hmm. but I think it's more just a representation of a kind of a... Um, one, I, The the photographer is somebody that I know here in town, and I wanted to use a local artist. Yeah. And so... Um, I found this and I like that it's also an um, eye it seems to me and it's just sort of a desiccated world which I think it seems like the book represents in terms of it explores history through the Whitman Comanche poems and it explores poverty and and gender and race through and queerness through some of the poems and so yeah it's not so much climate change but it's just it's about all of that stuff uh, wrapped up together and the new book kind of Pulls that pushes that into deeper territory.
0: Yeah. How much input did you have to um, like layout and stuff? I'm looking at this font and the and, and that's font on the spine at least. I think that's one of my favorites. That's uh, I think that's uh, Avenir Next uh, Ultra Light. Uh, yeah. I'm just I'm digging that. I think I think it's the regular avenir on the front, but I could be wrong. It just, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. The light. Yeah. The light. The very nice skinny letters on the on the, on the spine. Yeah. See. Um, I'll tell you what happened is usually when you put a book together, right? You, you give it to the designer, yeah. and then they change fonts and they completely remap the book at mm-hmm. a different number lines per page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These yeah. people did exactly what I sent them. They just they and they, I think they used the same font that I used on the inside. Yeah. Now the page was a little bit longer than mine, so it mapped a tiny bit differently. Yeah. But he went to that tall page to create more dynamics with the. Um, the the poems that were dropped down. Yeah. So, basically, yeah, I've never had that happen before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was in complete control of the interior design of the book. That's great, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. It was like, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> you know?
0: That was writer and poet Dennis Heinrichsen. His most recent book of poems, This Is Where I Live, I Have Nowhere Else to Go, can be purchased directly from Grid Books as well as the usual book buying channels. For more information about Dennis, go to grid books.org. This has been the Dynamoverlog Podcast. This episode was mixed by me, Caleb True. Music in this podcast is courtesy of Space God with 3Ds. Space God's music can be found at spacegod with 3Ds.bandcamp.com. I also wanted to mention that Dynamoverlog is currently running a book contest open to poetry and prose to find our next title. The winning entry will receive $500 in publication by Dynamoverlog. For more details of the contest, please go to dynamoverlog.com slash contest. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, we can be reached at dynamoverlog at gmail.com and if you dig these interviews, please rate and review us. Once again, thanks for listening, till next time.